When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <gasps> We're live, Z. What? Yeah. We're live right now. I'm like now. one of those old guys. Huh? Huh? What's up? Hey, guy. Tom Sawyer. You're here. I'm having a, a stroke. More of a Huck fan. You know, it's way. funny. I got... It's funny. Logan went live as I was responding to a text that's kind of important. And my whole mindset is like, wait, what the, where the fuck am I right now? <laughs> What's we, up, z We went from talking about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right beforehand to uh, what we're doing now. Weird is, studio live stuff. So yeah. the boys are back in town. We shot like 20 videos. That's we true. had a good time. We ate a fucking delicious meal. Oh, my God. It was so good. Paulie's, Paolo's? Pa- Paola. Pausies. Pausa. Something like that. Pausa. Downtown San Mateo. I don't know. It was good. It was fancy. <laughs> dude, dude. Z- Zubin asked the waitress, he goes, um, there was like a pizza and it said like chicories. And, yeah, yeah. And he was like, um, excuse me, you know, wh- what is it? What's chicories? And she goes, oh, you know, it's like a uh, radachio re- re- uh, reduction, you know? And we, and we were both like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, of course. We don't know what that means. Uh. <laughs> Whereas Logan was just like, where are the burgers? What's going on? Yeah, both of us had no clue. And then she comes out, the pizzas are uncut. Yeah, and they gave you scissors. They gave them. us scissors, and they go, you know, because you realize in Italy they don't cut their pizza. And I'm like, bitch, I've been to Italy. They cut their fucking pizza. <laughs> like, this is what kind of pretentious bullshit? So we were already triggered. We're like, this is a typical Bay Area horseshit. It was so good. Yeah, it was delicious. It's like a radicchio reduction. That's what she said yes. to us. And I was like, mm, yeah, sure. We all know radicchio, don't we? <laughs> You know, what's really funny is like, so would you like tap or sparkling? And of course, me and Tom are both conditioned to go tap. Why the fuck yeah, would we pay money for sparkling? Yeah. And Logan goes, uh, sparkling? And uh, we're like, all right, fine. We'll try the sparkling water. She brought out the fanciest bottle of sparkling water. Like it like it was still, it was still sparkling water. Like it, it was not moving. Exactly. There were no bubbles. No bubbles. And so then as soon as me and Zoom and taste it, we're like, this is $20 bottle of, exactly. a bottle of water. I was yeah. like, it was in a, it was delivered in a snifter. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, the bubbles are effervescent and yet so flat. I mean, it's like a perfect paradox. If this, this water holds paradox, like the Bible holds paradox. I you mean, said, you said to me, you said, this is a good sipping water. Tom <laughs> You know, this is a real sipping water here. I did you know? say that. And <laughs> I stand by that statement. Uh, because, you know, what's funny. So then, then she goes, would you like a refill on that water? We had no idea what it cost. So we were like, you know what? No, that's dangerous. P- go ahead and hit us up with tap. So she brings tap water in a fancy, like, you know, one of these little, like, uh, carafes and pours it for us. And so I take it, forgetting that she's she's changed it. And I'm like, oh, my sipping water. And I taste it. And I was like, <laughs> This tap water tastes like ass. Okay, now I'm permanently spoiled wanting this fancy ass. It turned out only to be seven bucks a bottle. I know. Yeah, I know. Which is still expensive. It is. Yeah. It did serve three of us a yeah. small snifter. One snifter. Full it's of like water. deuterium. It's that valuable. Like you could actually power a cold fusion reactor in the 80s, a fake cold fusion reactor. Anyways, dude, what's up, dude? We there's, did a. There's a Kanye West song where he goes, What'd you order in sparkling water? You know you wasn't drinking sparkling water before you came out here, you know, to LA. Dude, it's, it, that's, that's perfect. Uh, we were talking about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm. and how n- neither one of us understands the deep magic. Do you know that C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were good friends? They were. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting is uh, Douglas Harding, who is the guy who invented this headless way that Sam Harris talks about as a meditation, got his break because he sent his first book to C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis, who was a devout Christian, said, oh, this is the most mystical shit I've ever seen. That's crazy awesome. And he was like, oh, shit, C.S. Lewis! Yeah. And then he gave him the courage to become a teacher of meditation. Who knew? Who knew? Not me. <laughs> Certainly not Logan. Did you read a lot when you were a kid? Uh, I read quite a bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. Do you think this is a prerequisite for success? Our leaders readers? <laughs> Our readers leaders? 
Well, uh, I don't know Tom Heineber, but I did watch a lot of Reading Rainbow, and I figure that counts too. Do you remember Reading Rainbow? Was that a thing when you were growing up? Um, With LeVar Burton? Yeah, yeah, but but just barely. Tayland. Oh, Tayland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was big in the 80s. It was more like reruns when I was a kid. Oh, right. There Take was, a book. Yeah. It's in a book. Mm-hmm. A Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow. I, I remember. can go anywhere. I don't know why I'm doing it like an elf from My, the Lord you, of the Rings cartoon my school had instituted this um reading program where like you would score like you'd take a test on the book that you had just written written and it was on the computer and you just take you know you pick a book from the library take a test on it then you'd get a score and it would tell you like what grade level you're reading at and then you would be ranked against like the other boys in the class that's right so it was it became a competitive thing where oh. we were like oh i'm gonna outread the shit out of you motherfucker <laughs> oh yeah you haven't read little house on the prairie yet bitch that's at an eighth grade level son that's so when why we're in, you like, read little house so we were, we were in like fourth grade fifth grade yeah i would read the books that were at eighth grade level ninth grade level little women know? i would be like i'm so much smarter than you guys look at me i'm number one on the reading list bitch <laughs> You know what's funny is that Pareto distribution of reading superiority actually carried you to like a really high score on the SAT in verbal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I I had a like basically a hundred percent. Yeah. On uh, written and verbal on the SAT. Right. But like a like a like a dog mi- shit, minus twelve dog on shit math. score on science and math. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing which has led, led me to an overall score of I think I scored twenty eight on the ACT, which I don't know how that. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know what it means. Yeah, I don't even remember. Yeah. That's like awesome. Thirty six is the max. That's something. awesome. So and then you like, went to UNLV and did film, <laughs> and so it didn't matter. Because didn't even need the ACT. Nobody even asked for the ACT. They didn't even yeah, ask you. No. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> so we were talking about how Lion on the Witch and the Wardrobe ought to be a... It should have been done differently. It should have been like a dark like HBO series, like Game of, yeah. the Game of Thrones producers. Netflix. They should do like nine wow, seasons Like Netflix. The Witcher, but... Because there's like nine books, I think. Yeah, know? there's a lot. Yeah. All of them are horseshit, by the way. Yeah, Lion, the, the Witch, one. and the Wardrobe is pretty that good. That was everything. Like Prince Caspian. It's like, okay, this shit's falling off. I like read the rest of them. Yeah. I did too. And yeah. I was just, it's all Christian allegory, by the way. So in the end, they pretty much all die and go to heaven. I know. I was going Except to, for the bad kids. I was going to Catholic school. Oh. And that's why, you know. Nice. That's why they want us to read. Could you Lewis. imagine the Turkish delight scene where the witch gives, uh, gives him Turkish delight done like Game of Thrones, like HBO style? Yeah. Like you just see this fucking witch who's just barely holding it together trying to look fair and handing him this this delicious delight that this kid cannot refuse so much so that he betrays his own family to this horrible person it's brilliant oh my god dude katie mclaughlin sent us 1600 stars clearly she likes dark line the witch in the wardrobe hell yeah Mm -hmm. we're gonna use that to jumpstart that project Ronald says the Pizza Hut book reading program earned so many free personal pan pizzas. Do you remember that? I remember that. Yeah, shit. me too. Oh my god. Me too, dude. Pizza. The Pizza Hut in my town in Clovis was like the central hub. They had an arcade, so we would all go to Pizza Hut and we would uh, order breadsticks because it was the cheapest thing on the menu, and yeah. sit there eat breadsticks, nurse these breadsticks, and play video games all night. God. Oh, let's see. Uh, Abby. Abby wants to know what is the thought on Corona. Coronavirus? Coronavirus, yeah. So, okay, so I just did a show on it today. We're going to release it either today or tomorrow. We should Probably release later, it today. Later, later today, today, yeah. Because yeah. it's very, yeah. it's happening right now. It's happening right now. So this, yeah. this is my thinking on it. Um, uh, like 300 cases, a bunch of deaths. The thinking is that this is the first time the Chinese government has gotten its shit together. When SARS came out, they all tried to hide it, got out of the bag. Next thing you know, you have this real worldwide outbreak. In this case, they're so ahead of the game that the virus hasn't even a chance to show mutation in genetic samples. So they really were on top of it. Are they overreacting? No, they're reacting appropriately to something that could easily change in humans to becoming so transmissible, to become so transmissible that it becomes a pandemic and kills, you know, it's mostly killing people who are like have COPD, diabetes. What do you think about the idea of a global pandemic? Because I know Bill Gates has been out there banging the drum on this for quite some time that like it is coming. We're going to have a global pandemic at some point. Yeah. You know what I think? Uh, He's right. At the same time, really smart people tend to overestimate and catastrophize scientific risk. Mm. I really think so. So like he's so smart that he can spin out in his mind all the possible scenarios that could happen, but statistically what's gonna happen is probably nothing or a pandemic that kills some people and then we figure it out and progress moves on. But So I think the truth is somewhere in between, but I think we have to be ready for it. Just like we have to be ready for antibiotic resistance. Where's all the antibiotic resistance coming from? It's coming from us giving antibiotics to cattle well, let me add, let me pull on, pull on that thread a bit if the truth is somewhere in between does that mean that we've seen the last large-scale pandemics oh i, I don't think like I things could, like spanish flu yeah i don't think we can say that because spanish flu could come back tomorrow right uh it's just as a strain that humans haven't seen in a while they're not ready for it a lot of people die and that one killed a lot of young people so mm-hmm. young people were preferentially dying it was, it was people don't realize that was a 
disaster. You know, and the Provax. Oh yeah, it was like one of the worst. The worst, right? Yeah. And and uh, because and because it's viral, it's not easy to treat, anyways. And back then, they had nothing. So, it, 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 what if, what if uh, the bubonic? This is, I'm going to just throw this thought experiment out at you right now. What if the bubonic plague happened like here in America today with all our, you know, modern sanitary conditions? Would it be as bad? It wouldn't happen. I mean, you have little mini outbreaks of plague, like outbreak yeah. meaning like a case. And it's like, you know, there's a flea on a mouse that infects a guy and they treat it with antibiotics and they don't die. So it happens. I think what happened there is you have crowded conditions, no understanding of the principles of uh, infectious disease. Mm. And again, once again, science, science, science. Once you figure out how the world works or how our interface of the world works, you can manipulate it in a way that's beneficial. Yeah, you know, I was reading like the Hamilton book, I think it mm. was, and some outbreak of something, scarlet fever or something happened. Mm. Uh, maybe it was typhoid, I can't remember. But, you know, he tried to go to like Philadelphia from New York and they had blocked off all the roads and they were basically, Philadelphia was just like, you can't come. Yeah. We know you guys got fucking typhoid or whatever. You can't come what over What else here. could you do in those? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, so that was the whole thing. It was just like, suck it, New York. Stay away from here. You know what's crazy yeah. is what what is Wuhan, China doing right now? Same fucking thing. Same thing. The same thing. So it's really kind of, yeah, isolation is the whole yeah 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 the whole thing. And the Chinese can pull it off because they're a you know autocratic state. Yeah, uh, we couldn't do that here. No, it, you would have like a, it'd be an ET scenario where you have all these government people in these white suits and remember the Ebola and it was down in Texas and the whole thing. Like, oh yeah, just a few years ago. Nurse, the nurse yeah. got infected. Two thousand what like fourteen maybe. Wasn't long ago. Yeah. I did a song about it around then. I remember. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, and that thing. See. What Hotez was saying on the show, Peter Hotez, is that uh, we're underestimating the effect of even the trials of vaccines on preventing Ebola because we haven't seen another huge outbreak. And partially that may be because we have these quote unquote experimental vaccines that are actually quite effective and we're seeing a decrease in um, the transmissibility because guess what? Secret uh, vaccines work. Yeah. Uh, especially when the, you, you know they're, they're mechanistically appropriate. So this makes sense. It's a virus, has a target. You can develop antibodies to it. People who recover have immunity because they have developed antibodies. Uh, so so it, it, it seems to work. Um, Let me ask you this question, you know, and these are sort of the circles I run in online, so this is why I'm curious about it. I run into a lot of people. Pornographic who, circle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hardcore. We were talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, there's a lot of people who, in the libertarian thought camp who think that, you know, they don't want they, just because vaccines are state mandated they don't want them yeah they think that if it's state mandated it must be negative or harmful for their children yeah um which is you know it, it bumps right up against the liberty versus oppression yeah fla moral flavor it's a moral flavor right? thing and yeah. you have to overcome that to get past it yeah and you, you i think the way you overcome it is you have to appreciate it and go okay i get that bodily yeah. autonomy or uh, liberty versus oppression versus care versus harm. So care versus harm says, no, actually, it's better for you to go ahead and take that needle because you're going to harm a lot of people. So you have to balance all those things, but you have to speak the language of the person whose moral palate may be different than yours. This is hard because it, it butts up against politics and religion and all these other things. We've had done shows on this, why do we hate each other? We hate each other because we have different, we have the same moral taste buds, the same five mm -hmm. or six flavors, but we value them differently and we interpret them differently. But if we acknowledge, oh, we're all trying to do the right thing except for psychopaths well, it's kind of like the conversation we were having at lunch about um cultural taste like for, oh yeah for food preferences right 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 and i always approach z with this thing of like I'm, i want to find objective truth so right I'm like, the hardline truth so i'm like here's the thing i'm fucking right z everybody likes chocolate ice cream and if they don't there's just something wrong with them there's not something wrong with chocolate ice cream okay you know and z's like well you know it's like culture and conditioning tom and i'm no they're wrong you ever tasted chocolate ice cream it Shit's is, good, dog. It is delicious. Uh, yeah, but it's the same kind of thing. Our cultural baggage creates these these moral flavorings, like you know the different preferences that we have. In that. Yeah, cultural, genetic yeah. upbringing, and even just experience. Like I have changed my opinions on so many things. Like I, I used to be hard line on a lot of stuff. Like I am right. Period. Yeah. Anyone who thinks otherwise is just simply wrong. And now I, I, I'm much more. Um, I'm dogmatic about certain things, but other things I'm just like, oh. Mm -hmm. I can see all sides of that, which is a curse because then you can't argue very effectively. Can, <laughs> it's can more I, of a can yeah, I, can I tell you this? I'm I'm becoming more um, in line with this way of thinking that there is a lot of cultural conditioning that occurs, right? 
But then there's this secondary thought that comes right after that, which is, well, let's shape people to not be right. You know, like let let's basically like there was a video of a, a Bernie Sanders supporter being like, you know, after uh, Hitler in Germany, they had to re-educate all the all the idiot population not to be Nazis, basically. Mm, mm. And this is like a way that people think is like we're going to condition people to be the way we want them to be. Mm. So right up front, you're like taking away liberty. You know, yeah, it's a tough you thing. Kind of be allowed to be stupid. Tough you know? thing to condone. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that's why with the anti-vaxxers, this is my feeling. You should be allowed to be stupid, but that means that you pay some consequence. Yeah. So there's some systemic intervention that makes your life a little bit harder or a little bit less pleasant, and so which is you got to homeschool your kid, homeschool and, your kid, you know, et cetera. Uh, but I mean, we're further isolating them and we're creating like weirdos in that regard. But you know, it's you tough know? because the question is: Is there already a momentum towards isolation and weirdness in a population that feels so convinced that the government and big industry is trying to poison them by injecting toxins into them? We were having this conversation about you know sort of like mass surveillance and how our phones are listening to us at all times. They and, are, and that's yeah. just that's just. That's a fact at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we were ta- a guy was telling us a story about in 2008, they were you know trying to find these always-on functions of this device and how much data they could extract from people's conversations, et cetera. And this was 12 years ago. Like they're, They've gotten so much better at uh, gamifying us, right? And so like, are we just walking through this sort of passive labyrinth where we're just, or we're, are we walking passively through this labyrinth where we're just being controlled? And like, who's designing the labyrinth and why do they get to design the labyrinth? And you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand, like, follow your heart, but what does it mean to follow your heart in a world where your heart can be gained by algorithms? That's the the entire thesis of Harari's, uh, you know, 21st, right. 21 rules for the 21st century. He's basically saying this whole idea of liberal democracy where you vote your conscience and you follow your heart and the consumer is always right because they'll make educated decisions is horseshit when the algorithms know us better than we do, where our data is already being streamed into this cloud where it's being analyzed and, you know, everything from manipulation of elections one way or the other to uh, what kind of, uh, you know, putting injecting smells into the mall so that you want to go to Aunt Anne's and get your, you know, cinnamon thing. It's all we're being manipulated constantly yeah. in in not unpredictable ways. So we're kind of human little biological machines and we can be tweaked that way. And it's acceptable in some regards, right? Like, I mean, you know, you walk by Cinnabon and they get you with that good smell mm-hmm. and you go in and have a Cinnabon. Like, right. okay, that's very acceptable. You know, they got you. It smelled good. It tasted good. It cost five bucks, whatever. Mm. You got mm. gamed, you know, mm. and that happens all over. But like, it's less acceptable when it's like about how you're going to vote. Who are you going to vote for? Right. right. Or, right. or where are you going to send your children or how you're going to educate your children or, you know. We have to have a degree of humility as humans and realize we're less free than we think we are to begin with. Yeah. But so we have to figure out from a systems level, how much is top-down architected? How much are we manipulated by corporations and other things? And how much do we really have free will and a free stay in this? I think it's gotta be a balance where, like, look, vaccines are a good example. Like, if you tell people, hey, do whatever you want with vaccines, yeah. most of them are gonna be like, that's a pain in the ass, I don't wanna do this, whatever. But if you start to say, well, you can't really go to school unless your kids are vaccinated because it's not safe for the mass of kids. And there's kids that can't be vaccinated and they can get sick and die. Well, then people will do it. So you're not entirely free because you're being coerced a little bit. Yeah. So that kind of thing, it's I have tough I have tough time really criticizing that because it is looking at a broader compassion, a rational compassion for a bigger group of people. At the same time, I don't want my freedoms impinged on. I don't want someone tying me down and injecting me with stuff any more than a libertarian does. So in the end, we have to keep having the conversation. Now, this is the problem. The end stage of that is when we silence the conversation. Then the game is over. Then we're controlled. Mm. And that's why I think all these motions on both the left and the right to control free speech, they need to be stopped. Well, you know, Edward Snowden had a quote where he said that, you know, like you said, it power is coercive. We uh, are forced now in the modern age to stand naked before power. That's Snowden's quote. In a very real way. Mm. Like, we are just naked before power. We do not have the means to fight back. And the idea that um, voice or interior reform is going to (laughs) let them give us our power back, it's never going to happen. Like the only way to effect change is to fully exit the labyrinth that you find yourself wandering passively through. You know? So this, (laughs) this applies very much to our own movement, right? It's like we're in a labyrinth that's created by healthcare. This labyrinth is created by forces that are so complex and so entrenched that there's no person you can blame. There's not even an institution. And that's by design, It's right? by design. Because, you know, it used to be back in the day, you know, the king was fucking you and you went and you chopped off the king's head. Exactly. Right. 
Now who do you who do you chop who, off? Who's to blame? You, okay, look, whose head do you chop off? Put United Health out of business, which I'd love to see. Yeah, right. Because they're somebody horrible. else will pop up. They're horrible. Someone else spot. will pop up. Signal will get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, put you know Humana out of business. That's gonna okay. Put uh, Pfizer out of business. What'll happen? Yeah. Optum. More stuff. Keep going. Whatever. Then what happens in in government? All these industry people go into government because they want to serve people. They get all the information. They circle right back into business and they use that information to make connections and empower the businesses. So this is the American system. Yeah. Now to fix that, first of all, because everyone goes in wanting to fix it. I know well, government officials who want to. We fix talked it. about this last night. It's like, but everybody, everybody who's smart, all the best Americans are on the make. They all want to get yeah. what they can for themselves and their families, right? right? And they tell themselves this reassuring lie that's essentially a lie, which is, I'm going to go in, I'm going to affect change, and I'm also going to make a lot of money for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice to tell yourself that, but it's not real. It, it never ends up working out that way. What happens is you play the game, uh, you know, you get, you get caught up, and you take out what you can get. And then you split without having changed anything. All you did was siphon money. And and, and honestly, this was uh, we were talking about this last night. This was a crisis of confidence I was having. Yeah. Because a lot of groups pay me a ton of money to come speak, and I talk about all the things we talk about on the show. I do it authentically. I don't pull my punches, but it doesn't matter. And I tell myself, oh, I'm doing good. And it's true. There are people in the audience who are like, I've not heard this. I don't. This is the first time I'm waking up to this idea that I can be individually empowered to make a change in a system or step out of the system and do something. But in reality. Aren't I just perpetuating? Because then the big system says, "Look what we did. We hey, we're look, helping look burnout. At, we're we're doing this." Look at Z Dog MD. Mm. He danced like a monkey on the stage. Mm. Don't you all feel better? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And then you get a sponsored episode where someone's making a gizmo that does this or that, and that's cool. But really, it's part of the medical industrial complex, and everybody's hustling. So. Even you know, even I, who I think I'm so pure and I want to help people, and you know that, that, and honestly, that's why we've talked about this, and I've said this to supporters, people who fund the show. Like, th- this is why I had that kind of breakdown midsummer. I'm like, holy shit, I don't need to do this. Like, if I have a group of people that are willing to support what we do, we can do it. We can say anything we want, and then the crisis is, well, now what do we say? Yeah. We have this power. And the thing is, we do influence people, but and but where does that speech turn into action? Where does it turn what, into action? What where is, is that action? Right. And and to be yeah. honest, if I'm being honest, I'm not the one to commit the action. I built a clinic. I ran it for three years. It was exo- It was horrible, dude. Like that shit was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. And closing it was hard, but it was easier than opening it. Yeah. Because at least you said, okay, then we have the principles now. Our partners can go and do it. It is so hard. You're fighting every day. You're sitting with United and you're talking to them. It's just, it's soul sucking. So you're, I'm asking people to do that. I'm saying, you know what? You should do that too. As a person who's older and wiser now, I do understand like how hard it is for you to have done that, right? And that you, you can't be expected to go it alone because you're just gonna get your head lopped off. Well, that's what happens. Yeah, it's it, it's hard. You need a you need to do it together. It's, you, ca- it's you, a kamikaze mission. Right. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And you know, like they say, the pioneers always get the arrows in their back, right? Yeah. But the truth is, if you're a pioneer and no one's following, now the great news is people are people are doing stuff, right? It's it's reaching a critical mass. I actually, I say this again and again and again. We're at a tipping point where something's gonna happen. Yes, you're gonna have all the calcified bullshit at the top, but it's getting so bad that even the people at the top, and these are big business leaders, are realizing, you know, like the Warren Buffetts and these guys. Oh, I think they want an exit. I think they want to escape the system as well because Mm. they're realizing that the guillotines are coming out. They're coming, yeah. And they don't know where to turn, where to go. So they want a way out. They're looking for a way out. Everybody wants the system to collapse. Everybody. Even the entrenched interests. But they want to escape with the gold. Yeah, they want to run off. They yeah. want to, they, you know. Yeah. Hey, and they will. They will. Oh, yeah. They That's going to happen. They always do. You know. But I, I don't think they want to be the fall guy mm-hmm. when the Titanic hits the iceberg. Mm. You know, nobody's going down with the ship. Mm. They're going to abandon. <laughs> well, you know, I think healthcare is going to hit an iceberg in two ways. Probably already has, right? Yeah, well, it has. But I. But the thing is, not hit enough of an iceberg where there's popular outrage. I think that popular outrage is going to lead to a single-payer healthcare system. Ugh. Yeah. that will Worsening. Co- yeah. Well, it will codify. It will solve some problems, and it will make other problems worse, and it will create new problems. That's just the simple bit of it. Yeah. I don't think it's the answer, and I'll tell you, it's purely because I think we can do better than that. Well, if we go to single-payer, it seems like we're just um, <laughs> hastening the collapse. Well, what we're doing is we're copying the other people who've done this, 
they've had some success in homogenous populations with some challenges too. The thing is, we have a unique opportunity to do something uniquely American. It's going to create more social unrest too when you go to single pair. Well, what'll happen sure. is there'll be a two-tier system, yeah. like there is now, really. But it'll yeah. be worse because you'll have people doing private insurance and you'll have people having the public option, and it'll be absolutely disparate. Yeah. So what they did in the Netherlands, they had something like that, and it became unsustainable, and so they actually got rid of the public option. So this is one of the few cases where a single payer has been disrupted. So they had a single payer and they had a private sector and it was so, dis all the good doctors were going to the private sector because they don't wanna be slaves in a matrix, most right. of them. The very altruistic ones maybe stayed in the single payer or whatever it is. So what ended up happening was they realized there was a problem. They don't problem. wanna be bureaucrats. I mean, you're, you're a bureaucrat. Dude, bureaucracy is a fucking poison yeah and this is just me this is my moral power nobody can change bureaucracy oh it's it's you, you will change to fit bureaucracy there's nothing that hurts me more than working with bureaucrats or dealing in a bureaucracy or being part of a bureaucracy or being slave to a bureaucracy yeah, it's soul crushing it took me a long time to realize that because i used to try to fit into the bureaucracy and appease the bureaucracy when i realized that wasn't me i needed an out right and that's when i started making videos and that's when i went to vegas and i made a clinic that did not report to bureaucracy because it just did the right thing for patients it was just too it was too early right yeah. who was going to pay for that right our insurance company went out of business so but the thing is what the netherlands did is they actually privatized the uh the system then and so it was insurance companies competing and um uh doctors competing and this kind of thing with subsidies and this and that and it became a really interesting model so i shared that article recently on the facebook page I thought it was interesting the germans have a kind of a thing like that too not for profit private insurance competing if there's any ability to collude, though, people are going to collude. And they're going to use government as a tool to help them collude. Sure. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> why give them the oligopoly on a silver platter where you just say, here it is, collude away. Well, that's what Medicare... Use us, use us. That's what know? I worry that Medicare for all is. You're codifying the oligopoly as it is. So the big health system and all those are just going to bill Medicare for all inappropriately. Because the way you make money then is you do more volume or you do it... You do it inappropriately. Yeah. And that's what they do now to Medicare. I don't want to make this like one of my things I always do, but don't you think it's a, it's important to directionally to decentralize, like to disperse? So, because colluding around central hubs is just going to uh -huh. continue to create bureaucracy. Yeah, I think I think healthcare works best Coalescing around. Sorry. when it's distributed. All healthcare is local. Yeah. And I think that it's person to person. It, it really doesn't scale that well. It's, it was, it's, so we have that problem in our clinic. Like, how do you scale a health coach relationship? How do you scale we were, a team dynamic? If we were tech entrepreneurs, right, and, I, and we were going into our VC pitch, they'd, the first thing they'd tell us about our our utopian dream of healthcare is they'd be like, I don't know, guys. I don't see. I don't see the killer app. Yeah. I don't think it scales. They'll say it won't scale. Yeah. That's what they told us. I don't understand. This is very it doesn't. This is very human. This is what we were told. Okay, with turntable. This was our model, just for people who don't know. Health coaches, doctors, licensed clinical social worker, pharmacists, all working together in a team in service of the patient, paid a flat fee to manage a, a population with no copays and no obstructions to care. Whether we do it remotely, whether we do it in person, whether we do it in our teaching yoga studio, whether we teach them to cook in our teaching kitchen, it is about education, prevention, and social determinants of health and managing all of those humanly as a relationship. Yeah. Using the technology, which we designed ourselves, the medical record, to pull it all together. Because it wasn't about billing, because you didn't bill. So what we were told by people is, okay, so how do you scale this? How do you scale this amazing team dynamic? You don't. The way you scale it is you do something that's like mitosis. So you break off a piece of the team, yeah. and then you interview a bunch of other potential teams in another location, and then you regrow a cell with its own culture yeah. that has a, has a lineage, has a seed. Splinter cells. It's like a splinter cell. <laughs> Yeah, like a splinter cell, like a terrorist organization, very similar. And uh, and then you grow it up there, and then you have a central hub that is simply a consultancy. So it just says, okay, here's our best practices that we know, mm. take and leave. Now, you would disagree even with the central hub. I don't even think you can have a central hub. <clears throat> I just don't think you can. The problem with healthcare, though, is a lot of the services are duplicated. So you can centralize the ones that don't need duplication, like technology. Yeah. Uh, and then the other stuff, like the human stuff, you, you can't centralize. You know, you can't have centralized HR and all that is very, very hard. I, I mean, centralization is kind of just like a, a byproduct of lazy infrastructure in most in most ways. Uh, it's, you know in, I mean? it's, 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 
It depends on the organization. Like it hasn't stuff. been well thought out. Like, well, usually, it's just not. like oh, well, just I, throw it all in together. The other and then problem we'll, is let's we'll see how it works out. Let's be honest. Humans are fucking stupid. When yeah. they get in these organizations, they dumb down to the lowest common denominator. Of course, they do stupid shit. Any nurse in my audience right now can testify yeah. to how stupid the fucking bureaucracy is. Like, it's, and there's a diffusion of responsibility. Always, nobody's in charge. Yes, and you, you know. advance by being politically expedient, but not necessarily good at what you do. Yes, exactly. And so you it's just not know, a meritocracy. You just look ahead. You see the people that are above you. You please them. You move a level beyond them. You please them. You move a level beyond them. You please them. Yeah. Suddenly you're at the top. You're like, wait, why did I get to the top of this organization? But I might as well milk it for as many millions as I can. Then I'm going to bail with my golden parachute. Uh huh. But you don't think that way. You think in terms of, oh, I'm providing a lot of value and I paid my dues and I climbed the ladder. That's how you think because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't be able to function. And the truth is we're only as good as our incentives. So when you're paying people to do things to people, you're going to do things to people. When you're paying people to do nothing, like certain salaried positions, like, okay, the less you do, the more your effective paper hour is. Uh, that's very counterproductive. Yeah. You have to structure it in a way that actually encourages people to do the right thing. And I think to a degree, peer accountability is important. So the idea that you're accountable to your team, your specialists, your primary care people, your patients, and they hold you accountable. We hold each other mutually accountable. That's kind of awesome. I saw that in Kansas, actually. Pure organizations are great, right? Because yeah. they know uh, what's like, like, and especially like uh, niche niche pure organizations. Can't be just doctors. Can't be just nurses. It has yeah. to be, you know, your subspecialty, yeah. a doctor or nurse, because they know what was appropriate in your circumstance. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And things coming under peer review would probably be better than being decided by some central bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I just had an idea for my new talk. So in the new talk, I wanted to point out okay, here was turntable, here's why it failed, here's the struggle, here's why we suffer moral injury, here are the people who are overcoming it using these tools that we talk about. And so when I went to Kansas, I saw this crazy shit where administrators and clinicians would huddle together each day and they would talk about, okay, here's the administrative side, here's how we keep the doors open, here's the patient stories, here's what's happening to our patients, how can we make those align so that we're paid to yeah. do the right thing for patients? And it was really remarkable. I'm gonna hit them up and see if I can get some images and put that in my talk and highlight that because I thought that was really well done. And they used telehealth in an actually very human way because the person was in the hospital there beaming into the patient room using that Banyan product. Totally. There's cool stuff happening, dude. Like I actually... I think if we if we really show people it can be done. Human ingenuity is boundless. It is. But it's being constrained. It's being constrained by bureaucracy, by incentives. Uh, and the thing is government can actually be a helpful force. So far it has not been. Yeah, it's not just government. You know, I mean, oh, it's it, industry. These, these, corporate, these corporations are bureaucracies yeah. too, and they're crushing the human spirit and human ingenuity. Actually, corporate bureaucracy is the worst. Yeah the worst. Here, here's the thing, like I love the Kaiser model. I actually think it's a beautiful model. I love the doctors. I love the leaders. Mm -hmm. I hate the corporatization and the bureaucracy of it. It's so hard to navigate. And so do a lot of the people in it, but they still are believers in we can do this. Even though it's a big ship, we have to switch it around. At least they're trying, right? Yeah. So they're, they're actually a great hope um, for doing things right. Man, it's like another problem with these large centralized healthcare players is that um, there's a tremendous amount of technical debt that goes along with them. And what that means is basically like when you have a top-down hierarchy uh, who's making decisions on how resources should be allocated, they're going to mismanage them. And they're going to mismanage them in a way that way overshoots. And you're going to have to undo what happened there. Mm. As opposed to when things bubble up, you know, in smaller teams, it's like your cellular mitosis. Well, the cells that aren't going to um, be capable of dividing, well, they don't divide, right? Mm. So there's a book about a new way of managing companies that talks about this. So this idea of top-down management, first of all, it depersonalizes humans. It reduces them to commodities. It is natural, though, because we've always had top-down hierarchies. It's a natural yeah. hierarchy, right? It's a top-down dominator hierarchy yes. to people at the top dominate. But the thing is, you can get to a next phase where, okay, I get it, I get dominator hierarchies, now let's move to the next phase, which is a distributed um, holarchy, which is really more of everybody's doing their piece in a web, and the ideas bubble up, anyone can lead in theory, but they lead in their own space. So imagine you're, you're picking an EHR for your organization, right now it's a top down, a CIO gets pitched by Judy Faulkner from Epic, they spend a billion dollars on a shitty implementation of Epic and they destroy their business like MD Anderson did. Yeah. So that's a disaster. Now what happens if you get the bubbling up of the doctors and nurses and 
dietitians and everyone on the front line using it. And they go, these are the things we really want to be able to do. Can we design something like that? And then they hire some programmers and they do it. I'm not saying this would work, but here's a different way of doing it. And everybody's on the team in a way and they spend a little bit of time working on it. I think it'd be a lot more effective. Now, the thing is you can get paralysis by too many chefs. And that's something that like Tony Shea has experimented with this whole archie at Zappos where there are no bosses. And that's, it's tough. It's tough because most people still need a boss. And you still fall into your natural condition response, which is to fall in line in the hierarchy, especially yeah. men. You know, we have a real, um, we need to know our place in the hierarchy. We need to know who's above you know? us and who's below yes, us. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's really true. You'd be like, well, I'm this guy. And, you know, but Steve is fucking below me. <laughs> Steve. Dumbass. That, but, you know, poof, Bruce, that guy. That guy is handsome. <laughs> He's way above me. You know, we, it's, a natural, Bruce. it's a natural thing with guys where we fall in line in the hierarchy. I don't think it happens as... It's different with women. The same it's way a different yeah. social dynamic. But yeah, so now you have to manage men and women. You have to figure out how this hierarchy works. Try to transcend aspects of the hierarchy that are non-productive. And the other thing is like, how many people feel completely devalued going to work? Most people hate going to work. Yeah. It's just not a thing. No. They tolerate it. That's sick. We spend most of our time at work. Like, how can we expect to be fulfilled on any Maslow's hierarchy (laughs) if we hate going to work? I mean, when this feeds into the diseases of despair thing that's gaining traction all over the place, like, we are the most, this is like, everybody is sad. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everybody is desperate. Everybody is depressed. Everybody you talk to. Yeah, yeah. You know? By the way, I mean, I see some comments here. I actually think, like, if you took Epic, And you implemented it using this bottom-up approach where people actually spend a lot of time, which we don't have. You could actually have a great EHR. I actually think so. I think so because it's robust enough that you could do that. But how often does it get implemented like that? And you know what's interesting is when I was in Kansas too, they were talking about that. So they have a direct line to Epic and they hash it out back and forth and their doctors push back and, and they get stuff done. Yeah. So it can happen. What's well, like um, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, uh, he put out a tweet a while ago where he said, you know, I'm working on a decentralized version of Twitter where Twitter is just a client. Like mm. it's a decentralized social media protocol mm. and Twitter is just one client on the protocol, but other people can build on the protocol and see what they come up with. You can imagine that something like that for healthcare where like there is a EHR protocol, EMR. We can go back to calling it EMR because it's now a protocol, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's an EMR protocol, and Epic is just a client on the protocol. Athena is just a client on the protocol, and the new clients emerge upwards. You know, like there's a Linux type client on the protocol. So this is right. That's an open source thing. Yeah, this is what uh, Jonathan Bush was talking about when he was at Athena. Is is that he was trying to create something? He's trying to create this. He's like, why do we have software? This right. is the 21st century. We don't need software. We need these open apps, ba- yeah. apps, backbones, apps that plug in and make it seamless and facilitate it. What he was talking about because all healthcare is local. Yeah, what he was talking about that was still going to be controlled by Athena. I yeah, think. because he I, has to make money, of yeah. course. And what I'm talking about is, uh, although he's not Athena anymore, so right. maybe he's down with the open, uh, the open plan. You know what he's down with now is uh, direct primary care. Yeah, yeah. So he has a company that's facilitating direct primary. What care. What I'm talking about is about just having a protocol uh, that you can have different clients attached to, which I think is going to be the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So how would Twitter then regulate, say, Tom's behavior on Twitter? They wouldn't? No, you could regulate my behavior on Twitter, but I have the ability to leave the client if I want to, right? And, and then where would you go, though, for Twitter? I'd go to a different client. I know? see. But different. it all plugs into the central Twitter thing? No, no, no. I don't get it. This would be a protocol. And then Twitter's just a client on top of the protocol. Oh, okay. So the protocol is yeah. this open source thing. Just like, you know, TCPIP runs the internet. Like right. It would be a protocol that runs uh, Twitter and then everybody could connect to it. I see. You know? But you could have a competitor to Twitter that you could use just easily on that same protocol. Exactly. Like you could use Internet Explorer versus Firefox versus and Chrome. The really hard thing that nobody wants to have the conversation about, especially in technical circles, is we have to have a uh, full rewrite of the internet stack. We have to rewrite the internet. Now you're basically living Silicon Valley in series. <laughs> it's true. It's true though, because the, the way the internet is architected is going to continue to centralize in these oligopolies and mm. you know, healthcare, same thing. So like, we're going to need to own our data going into the future. Mm. We're not just going to be able to wander through these passive labyrinths and just be poked and prodded and give away our data for free for mm. basically for cheap likes. You know? mm-hmm. You're going to be able to own your data as a like, you know, your all your health data will be with you, secured yeah. in an encrypted file, and it goes with you wherever you go, right? Instead yeah. of like, God, trying to talk to the, <laughs> you know, you're like, why don't you like as a patient too, especially in the modern world, as a younger patient, you know, I'm I'm like, why don't you guys fucking have my X-rays? I don't understand. Why didn't they get fact, you know, whatever sent to you? Why didn't they get emailed to you? It's 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 a 
when I first moved to Vegas, that was one of the problems I was looking to solve is this decentralization of, of data or the centralization of data in these silos means that because what I experienced as a hospitalist is I would never get my patients fucking records. Yeah. And it's deadly, you guys. Like it's not even a joke. You're not only are you costing money, but you're killing people because you don't have the data that's already made. they had that CT scan. You're gonna radiate them again to repeat it and then find something dumb, incidental, misread it and end up causing harm. No, that's a terrible idea. But here's the question. So this is what I want to understand. It as a cent as as that protocol, would a blockchain type and a ledger makes sense for electronic medical records where apps plug in using a central kind of a blockchain where you know when a, when a, a, a chart is updated, you have a ledger of what's going on. It's When it's altered, you know what's happening. You the patient could, controls you it. You could, but you don't actually need a blockchain because a blockchain is a, a triple entry ledger. You only need a double entry ledger. You it's a blockchain light. You, well, just traditional uh, Medician accounting. You, you, you just need a MySQL database that has everybody's information. Now, the problem is who has control of that database, right? right? right, right. So the blockchain yeah. distributes it between everybody, but you don't want everybody to have your health information. This is why categorically every healthcare or medical-based blockchain company is full of shit. It just doesn't work. We need to, we need a full stack rewrite of the internet in order to get access to or we're able to keep control of our information. Will that ever happen? Uh, in the next like fifty years, I think it's going to mm -hmm. happen. But it's going to be a slow slog to get there. Yeah, because tech, yeah. tech debt. The internet was built in the way it was built, and now we have to undo it because it wasn't. Uh, it didn't. It didn't come out correct. Right. It, it, we didn't anticipate all these problems that we were going to have. You know what I think of it like uh, evolution. Yeah. So in evolution, there's a lot of shit that really doesn't make sense in how we're structured, but it happens that evolution went down a path, and the only way it could get to an eyeball, right, is by doing it in a real roundabout way. Exactly. So the nerves, like for example, the retina, the optic blind spot shouldn't exist, right? If you designed an eye, you would put the nerve up here. Yeah. But instead, because of the way that that unfolded in development and evolution, we have an optic blind spot. And and so I, that's the internet's the same that's way. That's fascinating because people would be like, well, then, of course, top-down uh, systems, you should architect systems top-down. It's like, yeah, but you don't even- You don't even know. don't even know you need an eye. That's right. You don't know <laughs> right. you need an eye. Yeah. You don't know. And evolution only knew it needed an eye because of the bottom-up pressure and top-down pressure to survive. Yeah. So people, the things that could see would survive. They would have an evolutionary advantage. But you, in the beginning, evolution doesn't predict anything because it doesn't have an intelligence. Yeah. It, it's it's a process, right? And there is, and you know, we can't escape the fact that there is human uh, decision making at the inception point of all human systems. Like Correct. Law, governance, that's right. tech, health, and that's medicine. all flawed. Yeah, exactly. Even our constitution has flaws in exactly. it, which is why technically you amend it, but it's so hard to amend. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Tom, did we do a thing here? I think we figured yeah, it all I out, man. we figured it out. Let's read a few comments real quick to <laughs> reward people who've been with us this long, the 270 people who are still here. Adam West says, yeah, but no one wants to put in the work to fix it until it comes crashing down and it's absolutely necessary, which is dumb. Also, Adam, I'd say this, no one's financially rewarded for There's no in incentive the to if fix it. If someone was yeah. paying them, then they would. One of the Epic people came in today and helped me set up, Jody Chance. That's a positive. Epic, look, the people who set up Epic are good people. The people who run Epic are probably good people, um, but the it just could be done so much better. Peggy Mulford, yes, it virtually exists, but your primary and secondary keys um get complicated are we talking about blockchain here peggy um because that was one thing tom like couldn't you act the way you access your money in bitcoin you use a key right yeah why can't you do that with health records a private well because it's endogenous to the bitcoin blockchain you know what i'm saying like bitcoin exists only on chain health records exist outside chain okay could you make them exist only on chain uh no, that's, because that's it's, a really hard problem. You could copy. But no, I think the yeah. answer is no. I think you know, truthfully, there's no use for a blockchain except for Bitcoin. People just haven't wised up to that fact yet. Got it. You know, but you're a Bitcoin maximalist, so maybe you're biased, or maybe you see. The no, truth. I just I looked at how the system works. <laughs> I just happen. Yeah, I happen to read more than other people about this particular. Yeah, issue. yeah, and yeah. I because didn't I, read some tech VCs bullshit blog on Medium about it. Did you, you hear? Know, uh, the guy we had on the show was like, these are the three buzzwords: blockchain, AI, and. Uh, Cyber, yeah, in health right now, none of it means anything. It has um, well. The reason the Bitcoin blockchain works is because, and this is like a whole thing, but uh, because the Bitcoin is the mining reward that securitizes the network. Yeah. So when miners contribute hash power to the Bitcoin blockchain, you they are rewarded in Bitcoin, the token, and the token has value on the network. So you can't pull tokens and blockchains apart. You have mm, to have a token. I see. Because otherwise, there's no way to secure the network. So they're intermeshed. You're you're, you're 
you're accepting trust from third parties if you don't have a token. Got it. Right. And the only token that has any value is Bitcoin. That's why Bitcoin maximalism. You know what I mean? That actually makes sense. Yeah. Now, here's another interesting thing we can wrap up with. Kimberly Gale, ZDog, and I haven't read this yet, but I think it's interesting. I'm in a situation where my family makes too much money to qualify for Medicare for my daughter, but not enough to afford, a, probably Medicaid, she means, uh, uh, but not enough. Oh, shit, I lost Medicaid, it. poor people. Medicare, old people. Old people, who That's are also right. often poor people. That's how um, I remember it. <laughs> so we were forced to accept a plan with a high deductible and now I'm forced to decide between getting care my daughter needs and affording bills for families like us Medicare for all sounds like a lifesaver what are we supposed to do Medicare for all won't work but the current system is forcing families to choose between their health and paying bills for a family like mine Medicare for all sounds like a godsend and you know what um, Kimberly for a family like yours it would be and this is why what we do is you first of all fix the care model because I bet you some of the stuff they're telling you your daughter needs she doesn't need and the stuff she does need, she's not getting. The second thing is, if you actually fix a care model, you make it more affordable, we could subsidize at higher income rates um, coverage for people who can't otherwise afford it. That's the idea. Everybody wants universal coverage. Yeah. It is absolutely, listen, I don't care whether healthcare is a right or not. I don't even care about that. I think everyone should be covered because it's just good for the country. It's good for the economy. It's good for our fellow human beings. So just fucking do it. Like, look, you don't have a right to my services, Tom. You don't have right. a right to my healthcare services. Right. But I think you should have you should have access to healthcare. Period. It's just bad for everybody if you yeah. don't. So let's set up a system where we do that. And um, Kimberly, I'm really sorry that you're struggling. You're not alone. I mean, I I forego care because I know it's gonna. It's I have nice. a seven thousand dollar deductible. You do the same thing. Yeah. Doctors are doing the same thing. This is a huge problem. So anyone who says the current system should just continue is smoking the crack. So I. I don't disagree with you, except that I think we can do it even better than a Medicare for all. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's lazy to say we should just have single, well, it's, single payer. I think it's despair. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's like Kimberly. She's like fucking. I know. Well, yeah, of I'm, course. She's even saying, I'm reading between the lines. She's saying, I'm with you. I know it would cause problems, yeah. but it would be a godsend. And I hear her because yeah. that's what, in other countries, the populace is generally happy because they're like, I don't have to think about another thing. Right. Um, I just think we can do better. I think we should do better. So James Stagg says, uh, so like we issue everyone cloud enabled secure storage that doesn't seem scalable. You know how Hillary Clinton had a personal server at right, our house? Right. I do think that the future is going to be we all have a personal server at our Interesting. house where we host our own data. Interesting. You know. Is that a feasible thing yeah, technologically? Yeah, yeah. 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 Technologically we will have boxes available. You'll just buy a box. So would a robber then steal the box and decrypt it or? Well, if you could get it decrypted, mm -hmm. uh, I suppose, you'd have to break some pretty secure... You need like a so quantum you computer. You always have to think about security as like it's a cost-benefit analysis, right? right? right so like right. could your standard mugger, um, could could he afford $250,000 worth of computers to break into your encrypted device? Yeah. And the answer is probably not. Yeah. So there's a certain level of encryption. Now, could a nation state break into your device? Of course. Yeah. They could do whatever they want. Yeah. And you can buy these boxes now for like 30 grand that can break into any iPhone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Police departments all across the country have them. Interesting. Right. That's I didn't know that. Uh, that's interesting. Did you keep up with the story that Apple is scanning all of our iCloud photos? I didn't know that. You don't know that. Mm. For They say for pedophilia. But it's like, okay, but what else are you scanning them for? I'm... Also, I didn't give you my permission. Wait a minute, to scan they're my scanning phone. everyone's iCloud, iCloud photos. photos. I'm yeah. going to cancel because iCloud. it's not your that's server. just a violation. It's yeah. their server. I see. They scan through all your shit. Oh, and that's why everyone wants to be in the cloud. Amazon Web Services. Uh -huh. and oh, you control the cloud. You control everybody's the cloud. There's no cloud. Yeah. The cloud is just someone else's computer. That's right. Yeah, what cloud? <laughs> There's no cloud. It's a fucking server at Switch in Las Vegas. Right, exactly. Right. It's a hard drive in a basement somewhere. Exactly. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, they've been scanning everyone's iCloud photos. You know what? I want to congratulate both of us on this episode. You know why? We didn't mention consciousness once. Nice. Not once. We mentioned Bitcoin, though, so I win. <laughs> but I tried not to. Z asked me about No, it. I was interested. I was interested. Um, <laughs> this is great. I think we did a thing here. I want to thank everybody for sticking with us on this one. And for people listening on the podcast, dude, hit a fucking review. Why are you so lazy? <laughs> when you review the podcast, bumps us up in the rankings so we can keep up with the world-class podcasts like Peter Atia and these guys, man. Rogan and other bald clown like myself. And if you want to support us and keep us independent, become a supporter. I see all the supporter comments in here. I'm so excited. You guys are fucking awesome. Really. Mm -hmm. Means a lot, right? I mean, we're pretty cynical motherfuckers. Yeah. But we never talk shit about our supporters. <laughs> I, love the, I love the supporters. Yeah, they are awesome. I love anybody that hangs out and watches the content because I think everybody yeah. here is trying to... Everybody who's interacting with this sort of content 
gives a shit. They give a shit. And that's, that is, dude, okay, listen to this. That is step one. If you don't start out in your life or in any endeavor with rational optimism that things can get better, well, then just kill yourself. Because that's the end point. You're without, done yeah. without optimism. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Like you wouldn't get married and have children if you thought this is all going to go to shit. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't start a new job. You you would just sit there <laughs> and I, then I, eventually kill yourself. I actually think pessimism. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get so many angry emails. Out, I, I'm kind of depressed, and you push me over the edge. It's actually more that this. No, I'm just saying be you, rationally I, optimistic. You right, know? and and I'll that's say it. I'll say this: rational optimism is almost never a cognitive distortion. In other words, yes, because it's rational. It's rational. Right. You never feel Optimis- lie. Pure optimism is, is like is, I'm going to win the lottery. Is a cognitive yeah, distortion. Yeah, yeah. Pessimism, frank pessimism, is usually a, co- a result of a cognitive distortion. Either mm-hmm. you're catastrophizing, you're using all or white thinking, you're overgeneralizing, you're overpersonalizing. Yes. There's a list of distortions. But rational optimism is a clear-sighted um, vision of, hey, you know what? Not only can things get better, they have to get better because yeah. that's how I'm going to make it happen. So that's what I love about you guys. And I don't know, Logan, do we do a thing? Should we? We did a thing. Tom and Logan. Z Dog together again. I have a dream that someday. Yo, put the stick in the box. Put the lick in the box. How's that song go? How's it go? (laughs) It's a dick in a box. I don't know. (laughs) Listen to the box by Roddy Rich. That's Roddy Rich. Roddy Rich. Roddy Rich. (laughs) All right, fam. We out. Fade to black. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.